Hi, and welcome to Pursue Wisdom, the teaching podcast of Bethlehem Church in Austin, Minnesota. I'm Paul Steele. I'm the pastor at Bethlehem Church. We believe that we are called to make disciples, and that means we want to do whatever we can to help people in their discipleship, in their spiritual formation in Jesus Christ. What you're about to listen to is my sermon from this past Sunday, April 11th, 2021. And it's taken from chapter 28 of the story. If you're not familiar with the story, the story is basically an abridged version of the Bible. And it's set up so we can understand the the main story or the main themes that the Bible deals with. What does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about ourselves? Chapter 28 focused on the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts and the new beginning that was there because of the resurrection of Jesus, that God is doing a new thing in this world through this group of people called the church. My sermon is based on, or comes from Acts chapter two, Peter's sermon to the crowds, and he focuses on Jesus. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's a benefit to you. God bless. Hey, Bethlehem, this is Pastor Paul. I'm glad that you've joined us. And remember, we've been going through the story. And the story is an abridged version of the Bible. And we've been using the story for two reasons. First, we've wanted to uh, catch the major themes of what the Bible says. What does the Bible tell us about God, about his character, about his purposes, about his ways? What does the Bible tell us about ourselves and how we fit within the kingdom of God? And, and so we've wanted to understand what, how does all the Bible tie together? The second reason we've been using it is to develop in our lives that habit, that discipline of reading our Bibles. We believe that the Bible is God's word and it's his gift to his people. And we want to be good stewards of that gift. And we're good stewards when we read it, when we study it, when we discuss it, when we meditate on it, when we apply it to our lives. And that's what we're seeking to do. And so uh, this week we've finished up with, with chapter 28, uh, New Beginnings, as we move into the book of Acts. We all like a fresh start. I don't know about you, but when I was younger and it was the, you know, moves, moves into the August and the, the start of a, of a new school year, I always thought to myself, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to get everything together. I'm going to be organized. We're going to, I'm going to stay on top of my assignments. It was a fresh start. We like having those fresh starts. That's why we, we so often look forward to the start of a new year. We think in our minds, this year can be different. Fresh starts bring expectations. They bring an, an optimism. Every year at the start of a new football season, the start of a new basketball season, Teams enter with this and their fans enter with this sense of expectation. This is the year. This is the year we can do it. We have a great team and it's full of optimism and hopefulness. And that's where we find ourselves. See, God is a God of second chances. 
And we see that all through the Bible, uh, starting with Noah, right? Right before Noah, the world is described to be filled with violence and evil. And God gives the world a second chance through Noah. He gives, he gives Abraham a second chance. He, he gives the world a second chance through Abraham, right? Because he makes this covenant with Abraham and says, hey, I'm going to bless all the nations in the world through you. And, it's, and so there's this optimism, there's this new start that begins with Abraham. He, God says, I'm going to, to continue on. I'm going to give this new start to Abraham's descendants, Israel. And he makes a covenant with them that if they would be holy, that if they would follow him, then God would use them to be a blessing to their neighbors, to be a light in this world. He had, begins a second chance. He has a new start with David, right? He, he pinpoints down on David and tells David, I'm going to, to uh, bless you. And one of your descendants is going to be king. He's going to be king of Israel. He's going to be king, an eternal king of the entire world. And I'm going to bless the world through him. And we see that, that God gives a new start to Israel. Even after exile, he brings them back and gives them a new start. God gives us second chances. He brings these new starts into our lives time and time again. But the key to a new start is that we have to do things differently. New starts fail if we just continue on doing the same things over and over and over again. We need to make a change. Otherwise, we will find ourselves right back where we began. And as we start here with the book of Acts, we see that God is once again giving the world a new start. The start of the church the start of this group, this collection of God's people is a new beginning. It's a new start. God is going to do a new thing through this group of people who are faithful to his son, Jesus. And as we come into the book of Acts, we, we enter it. This is a continuation of the book of Luke. Remember, Luke... Uh, is a, is a Gentile doctor. He's a, a disciple of, of Paul. He's traveled with Paul and he's gone back and he's investigated these claims. And he's out of that, he's written uh, the gospel, the gospel account of Luke telling us about Jesus. And then he continues on the afterward to tell us about how God is using Jesus' followers to change the world. And so as we enter in, we, we catch this glimpse of the ascension of Jesus and a shortened version of, of the Great Commission where Jesus tells his disciples to stay there in Jerusalem, 
But when the Spirit comes, then, then they would be their, his witnesses in, in uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, kind of going out further and further and further, and then into the world. That is what he desired for them. And they stayed there in Jerusalem, and they waited and they waited. And on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover, so it's about 40 days or so, or 10 days or so after the ascension of Jesus. And they're there in the upper room. And there's this sound that comes. And these things that look like fire land on top of their heads. They begin to be able to speak in different languages. Now, this is a weird type of thing. What's going on here? But this is a callback to what happened at the tabernacle and at the temple. So in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 35, we read about how God's glory, his Shekinah glory, settles on the tabernacle. And in the same way, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10, with the dedication of the temple, God's glory comes down and rests on the temple. That's what's happening here. Remember, as God's people, as God's church, one of the metaphors or one of the, the images that is applied to us is that we are God's building. We are God's temple. That's who we are. And, that's, and so he fills us with his presence, with the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening here. God is anointing us. He is saying his presence here on earth dwells in and amongst his people. We are the tabernacle. We are the temple. And we need to be conscious of that reality. And so they start to talk, to teach, in all these different languages because of the Jewish festivals, so many Jews from around the world would come to celebrate Passover and stay through Pentecost. And so they're there. Not all of them speak Hebrew or Aramaic. They speak different languages, languages that they come from, or at least that, was, that would be their heart language, the language that they're more comfortable with. And the disciples, all of a sudden, even though they have no training in this whatsoever, they're able to speak so that other people can understand them. And one of the explanations that was being given then is that, hey, these guys are drunk. That's what's going on. These guys are just crazy because they're drunk. See, when God moves and something supernatural or or, or wonderful happens like this, we want to explain it away. We want to come up with rational explanations. Like what we see, that can't be the real truth. There has to be something else. So it can't be the Holy Spirit is working in these men. It can't be that God is displaying his glory through them. No, it you can explain it by these guys are drunk. So here in this crowd, in this situation, the Apostle Peter gets up and he preaches. 
And Peter's message focuses on Jesus. Now remember, one of the things that I've been saying in every sermon as we've gone through the story is that the Bible is one unified story and it points to Jesus. And this is nowhere clearer than right here in the message that Peter gives to these people. Because Peter's message focuses on Jesus. Peter, in this moment, doesn't try to, to rationalize with these, with these people. Rather, he gives them a pointed message that points to Jesus. And first of all, as Peter starts his message, he points them to prophecy. He points to prophecy. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 14 and going through verse 21. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter comes here and he said he points his, to his listeners to prophecy. He says, this is what's happening. What the prophet Joel wrote about, that's what you're seeing. And one of the things that I just I, I want to point out here is, is what does Joel say? He says, in the last days. This is what will happen in the last days. So what is Peter saying? One of the things Peter is saying by using that prophecy is that this is the last days. So if somebody asks you, are we living in the end time? Is, are these the last days? The answer is yes. They've been the last days since the resurrection of Jesus. Since the Holy Spirit came down and anointed the church. We've been living in the last days. And Peter wanted to establish this with his hearers, with his listeners, that this is what's going on. These are the days that we're living in. This is the explanation. It's not that we're drunk. It's not that we're crazy. No, God is moving in and through us. That's what's happening. Pay attention. See, we need to pay attention too. We need to understand the times that we live in and what God is doing here in us, around us, and not just try to write things off Give them rational explanations. No, God is up to something, and we need to join him. That's what Peter's urging his listeners as, as he points them back to prophecy. Peter continues by reminding them of Jesus. Verses 22 through 24. 
He reminds them of Jesus. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to a cross and killed him, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grips. So Peter says, hey, this is the last days. This is, this is what's happening uh, according to Joel. Joel predicted this. This is the natural result of Jesus. You know Jesus. You remember Jesus. You were there. You helped kill him. He was a prophet. He had these mighty teachings. And you handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. But here's the exciting part, Peter says. He didn't stay dead. Death couldn't keep him in its grip. Now Jesus was resurrected. He came back to life. That's what this is all about. That's what's happening. See, we need to remember. We need to remember Jesus. That Christianity isn't just about living a moral life. That Christianity isn't about some uh, truth structure or some worldview. No, the heart of Christianity is Jesus. And what Jesus is doing and the, and the task that Jesus has given to us and who Jesus is, we need to always make Jesus the center of who we are and what we do. Because it's all about him. It's all about him. And we need to be committed to him. So Peter pointed them to prophecy. He reminded them of Jesus. And then he recalled the words of David. He recalled the words of David. He goes back to the Psalms. And this is what he says in, in Acts chapter 2. Verse 25, King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on the, his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was trying, he was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. So again, Peter knows his audience. He knows that they are Jews. He knows that they are familiar with the scriptures. So he refers them back to David, to David's word. He says, hey, this is what David wrote. But David couldn't have been referring to himself because David died. 
He experienced death and his body rotted away. No, David was a prophet and he was referring to one of his own descendants. He was referring to Jesus. See, Peter connected with his audience through a, through a way that, that he knew that they would be familiar with. And as we go into this world, as we seek to make disciples, we need to look for those ways that we can connect with people. See, one of the realities that, that of the culture that we now live in is that this, the God's word, no longer has value in our culture at large. Now, so much of our history as, as the United States, the Bible was regarded as a holy book, as a true book. And people, if you said, hey, this is what the Bible says, they would believe it as true. That's no longer the case. We have to find other avenues, other ways to break into the culture, to speak to the culture, to connect with them so that we can refer them back, that we can bring them to Jesus. That is crucial for us to do. That is what God has called us to do. We need to find those ways to connect with culture. And Peter says, hey, this is what David was saying. Joel has said it. David has said it. These things that God has talked about in the past, they're coming true right now, right before your eyes. Take notice of it. And then, and then Peter declares Jesus as Lord. Verses 32 through 36. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Jesus, uh, Peter, in no uncertain terms, declares that Jesus is Lord, he is Messiah. So remember, as we talked about last week, Crucifixion would have declared that Jesus was neither Lord or Messiah. He was dead. The only way that Peter could get up in front of this huge crowd of Jews who have just witnessed all of this, who would have heard the rumors, who would have been able to go out and, and inspect the tomb, the only way that he could declare that Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord is based on the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what he does. He declares, this is who Jesus is. See, as we move forward, as we make disciples, as we have these opportunities, we need to make sure that we are proclaiming, we are declaring that Jesus is the Lord of the universe, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one who God sent to rescue us. We need to make that clear. That is what we are to do. So what happens from here? What happens from, from uh, Peter's message and the messages of, of what the 
other disciples are saying. Well, 3,000 men plus women and children come into the church. They, they confess their sins. They repent and they're baptized. That is what happens. But now the early church is faced with this dilemma, right? What do you do with 3,000 new believers? What are you to do? So remember, Jesus gives us this great commission. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded. So they've been baptized. They've been brought that far where they've come to this point of confession and repentance and they've been baptized. But what now? Discipleship isn't, the, the disciple-making process has just begun. It hasn't ended. So what are they to do? This is what they did. They devoted themselves to study. They took those Old Testament scriptures and the apostles and, and other uh, teachers taught from the scriptures, pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to this is, this is what the scriptures were always saying. This is how that applies to our lives. They were devoted to the, the teaching of the apostles, which we now have in our Bibles. So we devote ourselves to scripture, to teaching, to study. They devoted themselves to community, to the fellowship. They, they saw themselves as one body and they encouraged one another. They helped one another. They served one another. They loved one another. They were in this together. They celebrated communion together. They practiced the disciplines together. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when it says they broke bread together, it, it literally says, they and they broke the bread together. That word, the, probably is referring that they, that they um, celebrate communion together. It was one of their, their practices that they did on a continual basis. See, we need those, ask those times of, of, of worship, of communion, of celebrating this reality together. And we shouldn't neglect them. And then they devoted themselves to the prayers. They prayed together. They prayed morning, noon, and night. They prayed through the Psalms and they prayed the Shema. They were people of prayer. That is how they decided to make disciples, to continue to follow after Jesus, to mature in their faith. And that is the same thing that we have to do today. Devote ourselves to those four things of community, of study, of disciplines and, 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 uh, and practices such as communion, and of prayer. That's what we need to do. So our big idea is this. God's people are part of the new start God brought into the world through Jesus. God's people, God's church, are part of the new start God brought into this world through Jesus. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the start of new creation. And we, as his people, as his followers, and there are an extension of that. Our challenge is this, 
to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us as a church family. That is what we want to do. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, to guide us, to empower us, so that we can truly be God's witnesses in this world. Remember, the Bible is one unified story, and that story points to Jesus. Peter made that uh, absolutely clear. He says, hey, this is, this is what the prophet Joel said. God's plan is working out. This, this is why, why Joel's prediction, his prophecy is coming true, because Jesus. And this is what David said about Jesus. And this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah, and he's Lord. Working through the Old Testament, through, through the law, through the prophets, we see who Jesus is that he is the Lord, he is the Messiah. All of scriptures point to Jesus. Let us know them, let us believe them, and let us teach them. Hey, thanks Bethlehem for joining us. Uh, I hope this was an encouraging message. We'll see you later. God bless. Thanks for listening to Pursue Wisdom. I hope that this sermon about Peter's uh, Peter's message to the crowds and and how it all points to Jesus was an encouragement to you. My one ask of you is that if you found benefit of this, that you go and, and support us online. You can give to Bethlehem Church by going to our website, BethlehemChurchAustin.com, and there's, there's a tab there to give. Thank you again for listening. I hope that you'll join us uh, next time as we talk about the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Thanks again for listening and God bless.